0: Well, my thanks to Nathan, Tim, and Dave for allowing me to be a part of the summer sermon series. i you want know to preach, it's very kind of them. If you uh, have just started attending the church in the last month, my name is Patrick Slime, and I am not a visitor here. If you can turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, we do continue our sermon series throughout the summer entitled Discipleship in Community. Discipleship in Community, continuing to counter our self-centered, independent culture that surrounds us on all sides, an individualized culture that can easily slip within the church body. And we are countering that culture by focusing on the Christian's need for one another, not only as we bring God's gospel to our valley, which is the beginning of a discipling relationship, but also as we personally grow in our own sanctification and continue a life of discipleship and spiritual growth. Over the last few weeks, we have seen this need for community in a variety of ways, but mostly from the negative side. We've seen the many dangers that believers encounter when they leave the Christian community. We've seen the many threats that can destroy a community of believers from selfishness and manipulation to factions and envy to what we saw last week and what an unforgiving heart can do to a community of believers, unforgiveness being that thorn bush that can easily overtake a beautiful garden. This morning, we turn a corner, we begin to look at a discipleship community, the community we each need, the community of believers we long to see here at EBC, but we look at it from the positive side. And so we begin in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, where Paul uses a wardrobe imagery and describes the articles of clothing each and every one of us must put on if we are going to be that discipleship community we have been called to be, if we are going to reach this valley with the gospel, if we are going to spur one another on in spiritual growth. I'll read the text. set in our minds, starting in verse 12. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved as those who have been called out of sin into righteousness, as those who have been lavished with God's saving grace and united together in Christ, here's the expectation, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, the perfect bond of community. The key phrase is in verses 12 and 14. It's that phrase, put on, verse 12, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, and so on. It's a phrase repeated in verse 14. It's not in the original, but it's certainly implied. Beyond all these things, put on love. The word Paul chooses here is a word that carries with it the picture of getting dressed for the day. Think of the story of the prodigal son. The son returns. What does his father do? The father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. There's the word. Dress him with the best robe. Clothe my son in the finest of linens. That's the picture Paul wants us to have in mind in these verses. He wants us to think in terms of a wardrobe, a dressing room, a uniform. In fact, we see this clothing imagery back in verse 8. It forms a contrast. Verse 8 But now, connect it with verse one, but now you have been raised up with Christ, you have been given a new uniform, which means that you must take off the garments of your past life and put on the clothes of your saved life. Put them all aside, the opposite of take them off, put them all or the opposite of put them on. Put them all aside. Take off the dirty clothes of sin you used to wear. Now, what are those sins? Notice verse eight. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. Remove every article of clothing that causes dissensions in the body of Christ or divisions or infighting. It's so the very things that can destroy a community of believers. These are the things that can sap a church of its gospel impact. So take those off. Why? So that you can put on the clothes of unity. Verses 13 and 14. Togetherness and camaraderie and forgiveness. Those are the very things that foster the discipleship community we need. And the command here put on in verse 12, aorist imperative. Means it's an urgent command. We must act on this immediately. Do not hesitate. This is how essential each of our actions are. Each of our actions are to the unity of this church. Now it's the same intensity of command we find back in verse five, notice. Verse five, therefore... Consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Slay sin. Heorist imperative. Do this immediately. What sins are we to slay? Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. And no one here would deny the seriousness of putting those sins away, right? No one deny that. Well, that same intensity, we need to put off verse eight, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abuse of speech from your mouth. Oh, but you don't understand how easy that is. Same intensity. You put off evil desire and greed, idolatry. You put off malice and slander and abuse of speech. And with that same effort of putting off, you now move into verse 12, and you put on something. The Christian life is more than putting off you put on the garments of togetherness and compassion and love. Why? Look back at verse 12, because we are those who have been chosen of God. We've been ones who have been called out of this world of sin. And so if we've been called out of sin, then why should we stay dressed in the world's sinful clothes of destruction? Why should we maintain the world's selfish divisions? Why do we put these garments on? Because, verse 12, again, we are holy. We've been credited with Christ's perfect life. Been credited with the robes of Jesus. So why would we not seek to wear those righteous robes in everyday life? Why do we put these clothes on? Because we are those who are God's beloved. Together, we have been loved by God from before the foundation of the world. Together, we have been united in love to our Savior. Together, we have been knit to one another because of the love of Christ and the work of the cross. We're God's beloved, which begs the question, why would we ever engage in anything that would destroy that loving bond we now share together in Christ? That's the flow of thought. So the call is this. Now that we are Christ's, here's what's expected. We are to put off every garment of selfishness, verse 5. We're to put off every garment of division, verse 8, so that we can put on the wardrobe of togetherness and wear the uniform fit for God's beloved family, the clothes of community where discipleship can flourish. There are seven articles of clothing Paul calls us to decisively and deliberately and urgently put on every day if we are going to maintain the union we share together. If we are going to be that discipling community we each need from one another. Let's begin with article number one. Article number one, if EBC is going to be a church where discipleship can flourish, then we must, each of us, put on a heart of compassion. We must put on a heart of compassion. That's the beginning of verse 12. Put on a heart of compassion. It's an interesting phrase that Paul chooses here. The word heart can be translated as or is a, is a word used to refer to your inner organs. Sometimes it's translated as kidneys or lungs, liver or spleen. Here it's translated as heart. Sometimes it's even translated as bowels. That's the intestinal area. So we're just glad it wasn't translated that way, right? Put on the small intestines of compassion. It just doesn't really have the ring to it. But the point of the word that Paul chooses here is to emphasize a compassion for one another that is felt deep within us, in our inner organs. And the word compassion here could be translated as pity or tenderness or sympathy, mercy. Taken together, this is a call to put on not a superficial care for one another, we must put on a deep concern towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a heart of mercy. A heart of mercy for those who may be struggling in their faith. A heart of mercy for those who maybe find themselves weak and someone, you know, make it more specific, in need of you to fulfill Galatians 6.2 for them to bear their burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. What Paul is calling us to do is to fight the impulse we all have, to fight the impulse to be so caught up within ourselves that we fail to see the needs of others. He's calling us to take the time to make that phone call, the one we know we should make, but we're too busy to make, to make that phone call To that struggling believer, to offer that prayer, to make that visit in order to bring those tender words and offer that compassionate care to other believers in need. The words of Jesus we are to be merciful, be merciful. It's the same word, compassion. And who does Jesus set out as our model? Be merciful, be compassionate. Be concerned for one another just as your heavenly Father is merciful, is compassionate, is concerned for you. The Father is our model. In fact, this is the word Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 1, describing God the Father as the Father of mercies. Father of mercies, multiple mercies. What are those mercies? The mercy of comfort, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Each of us have received this compassionate care from God. But notice what Paul then adds. What is, the, what is one reason why God offers us his mercy? What is one reason he gives us his comfort, his compassion, so that we do something? so that we will be able to put on that heart of compassion and comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Normally, we would never want to put on our Father's clothes. They're just outdated. But here, Paul commands us to put on our Heavenly Father's clothes, the garment of compassion, and concern, and burden bearing for our brothers and sisters in Christ. These are clothes that never go out of style in God's eyes. That's where Paul begins, the first garment in this uniform of community, a heart of compassion and care. Which leads into a second article of clothing we must put on. If EBC is going to be that church where discipleship flourishes. Article number two, we must put on kindness. It was put on kindness, that's verse 12. Put on kindness, put on goodness, graciousness. But here's the key. This is goodness and graciousness in action. It's not just in word, it's also in deed. And this is the very opposite of the filthy clothes mentioned in verse eight. The very opposite of wrath and malice, and slander and abuse of speech. Wrath seeks to hurt. Kindness seeks to heal. Slander tears down. Kindness builds up. In Septuagint, it's the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word kindness was a favorite word to describe God's gentle and caring ways with his people. Psalm twenty-five, seven: God forgives sin. Why? Because of His kindness. Psalm thirty-one, nineteen: The psalmist declares, "How great is Your kindness! I praise You, God, because You are filled to the brim with goodness and graciousness and gentleness. If You are unkind, You are ungodly." When you trace this attribute into the New Testament, it is the kindness of God, the graciousness of God that leads sinners to repentance. If you want a picture of what this kindness looks like in human form, Titus 3, 4 describes Jesus as the kindness of God, our Savior. To be unkind is to be unlike Christ. Christ. So the call here is to put on nothing less than the kindness of God that led us to salvation. The call here is to put on the kindness of Christ that led him from the glories of heaven to the cross of shame for us. Put that kindness on. It is the kind believer that harbors no bitterness even when offended. It is the kind believer who maintains a sweet disposition, who encourages others with their words. It's the kind believer who, as we saw last week, rather than writing off a believer in sin, seeks him or her out in order to forgive them and restore that relationship. And so tied to God is this attribute of kindness. Jesus actually singles out kindness as one of the necessary, invisible marks of all of God's children. Jesus says, love your enemies and do good. That's the word, do good, be kind. In this context, it's showering kindness on your enemies. And then Jesus says this, and you will be, you will manifest and show that you are truly sons of the Most High. Why? For he himself, God the Father himself, is kind. Same word, is kind to the ungrateful and evil men. Kind believer does not look for those deserving of his goodness. Does not look for those deserving of his care. Why? Because God did not wait for us to be deserving of his kindness. Kindness. kind believer bestows gentleness and graciousness and goodness without exception. This is when discipleship will flourish within a church. When genuine care abounds for one another. When we do not see ourselves as too busy or too good to invest in the lives of others. It is only when kindness is the garment we wear That we will fulfill Hebrews 10 and stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And fulfill 1 Thessalonians 5 and seek after that which is good for one another. Put on the garment of kindness. Notice the third article of clothing we must put on if discipleship is going to flourish. Here at EBC, article number three, we must also put on a humble attitude let also put on a humble attitude. Continuing verse 12, put on humility from kindness, which is our Christ-like attitude towards others, to now humility, which is our Christ-like attitude about ourself. The word humble here, literally, lowliness of mind. Lowliness of mind. Not in the sense of thinking poorly about ourselves, but in the sense of thinking rightly about ourselves from God's perspective. Seeing ourselves above all as recipients of divine grace, recognizing that in and of ourselves, we are no better than anyone else. And thus being willing to regard others as better than ourselves and offer ourselves to them And at this point, Paul is completely countercultural to everything the first century stood for. He is countercultural to everything our own culture stands for. In Paul's day, the Greeks had no symbol in their language for humility. Why? Because it was a shameful quality. Every word used to describe humility carried with it the idea of weakness, feebleness. Right? Pride was extolled. Domination was admired. When it comes to the Christian community, humility is the chief virtue. And no doubt Paul is drawing off of Jesus' words back in Mark chapter 10, what he told his apostles. He said, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They're proud, they're arrogant. But it is not this way among you. This is not how the Christian community is to be. No, in Christ's kingdom, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And then verse 44, whoever wishes to be first, primary, the most elite in Christ's kingdom, that one shall be slave most menial of servants, slave of all, the very epitome of humility, to which Jesus then adds himself as the model. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This has massive theological implications, the ransom of Christ the righteous life of Jesus, the sacrifice of Christ. Massive theological implications, but that's not the point of Jesus' words. The point of Jesus' words is that he's the humble one, and the reason why he is going to be king in his coming kingdom is because he is slave of all. It's because he's the one who sacrificed himself to his father. And he's our model. He's our model. The garment of humility we are called to put on in Colossians 3 is the humility of the others oriented, serving, sacrificing Jesus. So let's just take a moment here. Can you imagine what this church would look like if that is the garment we each put on every morning? Would anything change? Put on the garment of Christ-like humility and watch the bonds of unity and the work of discipleship grow here at EBC. And right now you're saying three's enough, right? Three's enough. Well, we have a few more. Article number four. Article number four. We must also put on a gentle spirit. We must put on gentleness. Sometimes translated as meek. It's the idea of harnessed power, power under control. It's a word used to describe a soothing wind, a healing medicine, a cult that has been broken. But in each of those instances, there is hurtful power that could be unleashed. A wind can become a storm and destroy Too much medicine can kill the body. A horse can break loose and run wild. But meekness, gentleness, is the ability to keep that potential power in check. It's self-control. And use that might, that energy, our purposes for the good of others. It is the gentle person that does not fly off the handle when conflict arises. He is able to control his emotions rather than stir up more strife. It is the gentle person who is able to hold his tongue. He understands the power of his words. The the tongue is a fire. And so the gentle, meek person cuts off gossip at its base, he doesn't give it a listening ear. He fulfills Ephesians 4, 29 by first putting off abusive speech from his mouth. It's verse eight. And then lets no unwholesome word proceed from his mouth. But only such a word as is good for the edification, the building up according to the need of the moment. You understand there are certain places and certain times for Words. the need of the moment that drives us so that it will give grace to those who hear. Those are gentle, meek words. It is the gentle person who is willing to suffer self-injury, self-deprecation rather than inflict injury on others, retaliation. So we must ask ourselves, are we the gentle people Paul is calling us to be? Or do we wield our words like a sword? We cut people down in the name of Jesus, maybe. Do we fight for our way in our relationships, winning arguments yet sacrificing love? Put on gentleness is the call. Article number five. We must also put on patience. Must also put on patience. It's the end of verse twelve. Literally, wrath that is put far away. Self restraint, refusal to retaliate in the face of provocation. The very opposite of impulsiveness, resentment, revenge, retaliation. Is the very opposite of the community killing vices in verse 8 anger, wrath, malice, slander, abuse of speech. No, no, put on patience. And once again, Paul is calling us to model God. Exodus 34:6. The Lord, the Lord God, is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. He is patient, abounding in loving kindness and truth. And how does this patience show itself in the life of the believer? Continue into verse 13. It is when we bear with one another. We hold up, we hold back. It's the idea of long suffering, enduring discomfort. This is a word that can refer to enduring persecution and affliction. Certainly, we're called to endure the scorn, the affliction from the world, 1 Corinthians 4, when you are reviled, bless. When you're persecuted, endure. There's the word, endure persecution from the world. Yes. But that's not the endurance Paul has in mind in Colossians 3. The endurance commanded here is not in relation to unbelievers and their hatred for the gospel. It's in relation to other believers within the church bear with, endure one another. Paul knew EBC, right? He knew us. Thus do with our relationships with those we're sitting next to or in front of or behind or uh, the ones who sit over here and not over here and you're not sitting on the same side because you're having trouble. You don't have that patience. This is not enduring persecution for the glory of Christ. This is enduring irritation From your brothers and sisters in Christ. Patiently bear with different personalities. Patiently work through interpersonal tensions and disagreements. Have you ever been there? Well, Jesus certainly was. Think of Matthew 17. His apostles, who he spent years with, they failed to cast out a demon from a young boy within the context. It's because of their pride and their prayerlessness. And so Jesus looks at that. I know you're gonna say, you're gonna say that is not Jesus speaking. Trust me, it is. He says, how much longer shall I put up with you? It's the word. How much longer shall I bear with you? What's the answer? Forever, that's the answer. Now understand, this call to endure is not a call to excuse or tolerate or put up with sin. It's not the call. The command to bear with one another means to put up with others in the sense of not writing them off. Not ignoring them, not checking out of the relationship you have with them when they fail you, or when they act differently than what you would expect from them, when they make poor life decisions, you get the idea. To bear with one another means that you, despite them, you continue to encourage them and pray for them and build them up. I'm not saying we apply Matthew 17 and we look at them and we say, how much longer must I put up with you? But instead, we seek to build them up. That's the very essence of discipleship. And why do we bear with one another? Because the same Savior who saved you and indwells you through his spirit is the same Savior who indwells your brother and sister in Christ. To reject or write off, not associate with, grow impatient with a brother or sister in Christ is to write off And grow impatient with the same Savior who indwells them. Connect this with verse 12. Flows out of the togetherness, bearing with one another flows out of the togetherness we find. We bear with one another because we have each been chosen by God. We bear with one another because we are each beloved by God. Connect it with the humility we've been called to put on. Bear with one another because we recognize we are all recipients of God's grace. And thus, back to last week's sermon, we live as the servant in the parable. The servant who has been forgiven much and thus forgives much. And here the ten switches, verse 13, bearing with one another. This is in the present tense, meaning that we are to bear with one another as a way of life. It's so as a way of life. It is continual and it is unceasing. Leads to article number six. Article number six. If discipleship is going to flourish here at EBC, we must put on a forgiving heart. We must also put on a forgiving heart. Tim talked about this at length last week. Notice what Paul adds in verse 13, forgiving each other. This is a non-negotiable to a discipling community. Forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should You, bearing with one another deals with personal irritations, not necessarily sin, but forgiving one another deals with personal offenses committed against you. And that phrase, just as the Lord forgave you, it tells us exactly what the forgiveness is to look like. Think back of Christ's forgiveness of you. It is to be immediate forgiveness when someone comes and confesses their sin. It is to be full forgiveness. You're not holding on to it to use it later. It is to be permanent forgiveness. Keeping a record of wrongs is not an option for a believer. The discipling community never wearies of pardoning offenses. And by adding that phrase, just as the Lord has forgiven you, Paul reminds us of the infinite debt we owed God. Again, think back to last week the infinite debt we owed God. He's bringing our minds back to the cross, he's reminding us of the high cost of our forgiveness. And thus the implied question is this, why would you ever hold on to bitterness within your heart if you have been forgiven much? Why would you ever withhold forgiveness from someone who has been forgiven by their king? Unforgiveness destroys a discipling community. We must put on forgiveness. Leads to article number seven. Article number seven is discipleship is going to flourish here at EBC. We must finally put on selfless love. We must put on selfless love. Notice how this section ends in verse 14. Beyond all these things, put on love. This wardrobe of togetherness and unity, love is described here as the sash, the belt of the outfit. You could think of it even as an overcoat. Some translations put it this way, over all these things put on love. It's the overcoat. Love, the purposeful self-giving for the sake of others. It's exemplified by God himself, Christ himself. Paul's point in the phrase, beyond all these things, is this without self-giving love, none of these garments of togetherness will stay on. Only love completes this outfit of unity. Without love, all that we do is that best hollow. It's going through the motions. 1 Corinthians 13, without love, any words we speak are a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. 1 Corinthians 13, too, without love, we are nothing. Love for our brothers and sisters in Christ is an indispensable mark of a discipling community. Listen to 1 John 2. The one who says he is in the light. And yet hates his brother. He lacks this brotherly, selfless love. Is in the darkness. Words are cheap. First John four eight. The one who does not love does not know God. Why? For God is love. First John four twenty. If someone says, "I love God" and hates his brother, he's a liar. which Paul then adds in verse 14, love is the perfect bond. It's the perfect bond, the chains that hold a prisoner in captivity. Here it's in the positive sense. Selfless love is the chain, the glue that holds together the unity. It's the perfect bond of unity, of togetherness. This makes so much sense. When we are others-centered we are only seeking the good of our brother and sister in Christ, there can be no disunity, right? And once again, the command here is in the present tense, clothe yourself in selfless love as a way of life. Wear self-giving love continually. Never take this garment of love off. This is the uniform for those who are members of a discipling community. This is the wardrobe that befits our calling as God's chosen, holy, beloved, united people. This is how growth in Christ flourishes when we put off the garments of self-centeredness and division The garments of anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abuse of speech, and we put on the clothes of togetherness. The garments of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and selfless love. These are the clothes of Christ that never go out of style. The clothes of a discipling and flourishing community of believers. Now, it leads to this question. We'll conclude here, this question. How do we do this, right? How do we do this? Notice the verse 15. Here's how we do this. We let the peace of Christ. This is peace that Christ secured on his cross, the peace that reconciled us to the Father, the peace that united us together. Paul's talking about the gospel. That's the peace of Christ he's talking about here. And we let the gospel, the peace of Christ, rule. This is a word used for an umpire who enforces the rules in a game. Only when the peace of Christ, the gospel of Jesus, umpires our hearts, And controls our minds. Only when the gospel sets the rules and boundaries of our life, our words, our actions, our thoughts, only then will we care more about others than we do ourselves. Look at chapter one. Let this thought rule your heart. Verse 21 Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, that's who you were, yet He has now reconciled you and His fleshly body through death. That's what it took. Let that rule your heart. Look at chapter 2. Let this rule our thinking. When, verse 13. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him and you didn't deserve it, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to cross have th- have that peace have that gospel that thought umpire your mind your life your words when that happens indeed we then can put off sin put on righteousness put on togetherness and only then will discipleship flourish here at EBC father We are thankful for the cross of our savior and we are thankful that your cross changes us. That we are new creatures in Christ. That your spirit opened up our eyes to see ourselves in truth. See Christ in his glory, supernatural miracle of grace. May that rule us. May the gospel humble us daily. May our response be one of worship and praise, but also service and love towards others. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.